This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Selling a little or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing, however you Shopify is a global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the, hey Marge, did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Running a growing business means getting the insights you need wherever you are. With Shopify's single dashboard, you can manage orders, shipping, and payments from anywhere. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the United States. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash ifanboy, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash ifanboy now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash ifanboy. This is iFanboy Special Edition Wonder Woman 1984. Sleigh bells ring, are you listening? In the lane, snow is glistening. A beautiful sight, we're happy tonight. Walking in a winter wonderland. Gone away is the bluebird. Here to stay is a new bird. He sings a love song as we go along. Hello, welcome to my Fanboy Special Edition, One Woman 1984. My name is Connor Kilpatrick. I'm here with Ron Richards. Hello. And Ryan Haupt. Yeah. We thought we were done for the year. And then you pulled us back in. <laughs> and here we are. So this is great. We're back for a special edition show. We haven't done one of these, Ryan, since the last animated show in 2020. Well, there was no movie one to do this year. This is the only movie special edition we've done this year. Wow, that's fascinating. That's no, no superhero movies this year, right? Nothing. Or no superhero movies worth noting. Didn't Bloodshot come out this year? Did it? Bloodshot did come out. It was one yeah. of the early ones that went from a theatrical release to a streaming release. Right, yep. right, yep. right, 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 right. Yes. So we're talking about Wonder Woman 1984. This is the big Warner Brothers DC release that was the... Uh, I don't even want to get into the whole business side of it, but, but originally they kept getting the release date pushed and pushed and pushed because of the pandemic and the movie theaters being closed, and then... Warner Brothers announced it was going to come out in theaters that were open and uh, and VOD on HBO Max. If you were in America, I don't think HBO Max exists outside of America yet. And then that was like the canary in the coal mine until releasing all their films in HBO Max. But that's not really the point of this show. You can listen to other shows to talk about that. This is the sequel to the blockbuster Wonder Woman film. Patty Jenkins wrote and directed alongside Jeff Johns in the screenplay. Gal Gadot, Chris Pine, Kristen Wiig. Pedro Pascal, Robin Wright, Connie Nielsen, some other people we'll talk about. So the first film was like a cultural moment. You know, it was a huge success. I still remember the wall of sound in the theater I was at when she went over the top of the trench no into land. No Man's Land. Like It was like a wall of noise from all the women in the theater finally you know, getting their hero on screen. And uh, I don't know if it's the seeing it at home by yourself not being in a the theater or what, but this movie feels... I have no desire to see it again, is what I'm saying. 
coming into this spoiler 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 yes spoiler warning spoiler warning also disclaimer i am employed by marvel which means that i also work for dc's competitor but my opinions are of my own and i'm not coming here from an industry standpoint like good i don't want them to do well because i i do believe that the both movies and comic books are best when everyone has like the i I don't want just the mcu right i want to see other voices and things like that you and i and our other co-host josh Josh loved the first. We gave it yeah. four, four point five out of five stars. Love that movie. I, it was I great. saw it twice in the theater. I saw. It, I've seen it multiple times on Blu-ray since. It's a terrific film. Other than some problems at the end, but it was terrific. Uh, yeah, and I agree. I love the first Wonder Woman, and I gotta say, I, I, I'm pretty sure I've been on the record, at least on iFanboy, if not other places, that the first trailer that dropped for Wonder Woman '84 that used New Order as the music and really leaned into the '80s aspect of it, I was all in. Mm-hmm. Right? I was like, oh, this is great. I love the idea of jumping to another time period, and it could be so cool. Before we talk about the content in the movie, I do believe, and seeing like there's been a lot of negative backlash online, a lot of people, you know, on, on the various social medias sharing their opinions and all this sort of stuff. I've seen, I, I feel like it's been like, at least in my feeds, like two thirds hate, one third like it was all right. Yeah. Right. And I haven't seen anyone like loving it. But I do think that that is influenced by the majority of people watching it from home. And that I think that had they seen this in a theater and had the true theatrical experience, not that it would not that that doesn't fix some of the problems in the movie but i think that that it it changes people's reaction because there's an energy in the theater seeing it and and much like hbo max we don't make this conversation about streaming but i do think not seeing this in the theater hurt this movie mm-hmm. we talked about yeah. it before we, we talked about it on our media exploded on our urine show like you can stop a movie at home you know yeah. you can you can look at your phone. You can go, oh, wait, what? And stop and go back. And you can look at people on IMDb. And you can do all these things that are distracting from the... Th- now, I don't think that that's the main problem with this movie. But I think it probably no, was but a I don't think it helps. factor. I don't think, yeah, I don't think it helps. Yeah, I, I, don't, I didn't enjoy this movie. We're going to get into that stuff. What did you work. think of the experience of it? The experience of watching it at home is fine. I'm not one of those people who obsesses over their setup for these sorts of things. You know, the pandemic forced us to finally invest in like a pretty basic Roku stick just so we could actually stream stuff directly to the TV. We would literally watch stuff on like an iPad or a laptop before. And our TV's not new or special or anything like that. Oh, millennials. <laughs> oh, millennials with your lack of funds because the economy's been terrible. No, right but you're, I mean, like, meanwhile, Connor and I are on this, like, very meticulous text thread with Mike Romo about home theater equipment <laughs> living up to our Gen X <laughs> standards. <So it's, laughs> I had the money in the space, but I don't. <laughs> Julie and I watched this on the couch. We had a friend on Skype with us doing kind of a watch party thing. So I didn't get, you know, what definitely wasn't the theater experience, but I was watching with people I like and people I, whose movie opinions I trust. I don't know that I buy into the whole thing that watching things in the theaters makes a big difference. That said, I traditionally have been a person who always goes to the theater for these big blockbuster superhero releases, just because before, if I wanted to come on this show or even just listen to the shows you guys were doing, I wanted to see the movie as quickly as I could. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I don't, I guess I don't have a good data set mentally to figure out what effect this had, uh, the whole watching it at home thing. This movie is really interesting. I think to talk about, it seems like it's almost the polar opposite of the first film. The first film was a really tight story. You know, it was like the small band of characters who were on a mission to get from point A to point B. Point B being, the, it's the same place, but for different characters, different things. You know, for Wonder Woman, it was about finding uh, Ares, and for the soldiers, it was about stopping this attack. But essentially, they started off in point A, and they traveled yeah. through Europe to point B, and it was a really tight story. The biggest problem, I think, with this film is that it was overstuffed, 
And it was like almost yes. a class. It was the classic superhero problem where they take the first film, they take everything good about it, and then they add three times as much for the second film. And it's just like too many characters, too many plot lines, too many things that were working disappear for half the movie. And then there was too much going on. None of it really was compelling because either it didn't work or it just wasn't getting enough time. Whereas the first one was really tight. And so that was the first problem I had. It was like, what is going on? Why are we doing this? And what is Maxwell Lord's plan? I don't even understand what he's doing. Why is Maxwell Lord so different from the comics? What, why is he a human monkey paw? I think that's one of my big problems or takeaways with it. Like, So we're, we're all living in Pedro Pascal's world after Mandalorian, right? Yeah. And, and I think he's so great. And I agree. I think he's fantastic. But I almost was disappointed that he was Maxwell Lord. He was over the top. Well, he was over the top. But I, I feel like you, you, you wasted Maxwell Lord. Like yeah. there's so much you could do with Maxwell Lord knowing what we know from the comics. And. And, and nothing against his performance. I thought he was over the top, but at times, like I looked forward to when we would see him again and that sort of thing. But I agree with you, Connor. I felt like this movie was like it, it was it was like forty minutes too long. Well, maybe it was way too long. First of all, yeah, yeah. I actually really liked the first act. I saw people talking about how bad it was, and it didn't influence my. Usually, when that happens, is I go the other way. I start feeling really bad for the movie and looking for reasons to like it. <laughs> the first act I thought was really strong. I thought. The relationship between Barbara and Diana was interesting. The thing about Kristen Wiig is she can go, for me, hot or cold. Like, I can really like what she does or I can really hate what she does. And so I was a little nervous about her coming up. I thought she was really good in the first act. I thought her character was interesting. I thought her relationship with Gal Gadot was interesting. And then Cheetah just goes away for like an hour and a half and then pops up at the end again. And I thought she was the most interesting part of the film. I just didn't care about any of the Maxwell Lord stuff when, once it started happening. I thought the interesting part was the beginning where it was revealed that his whole empire was fake. I thought, yeah. well, that's interesting. That's a neat twist. But then once he gets the power, he's not the same Max Lord from the comics. He doesn't have mind control. He becomes literally a human monkey paw where you touch him and you can wish for something. And you'll get that wish, but also you'll lose something, the most important thing to you. And then it just spirals out of control as it gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And I just thought the story lost the thread of that. I don't even know what his end game was ultimately other than to compile more power. But didn't, it wasn't quite sure what the power was. It was very bizarre. Yeah, and, and also, you know, like I... I definitely showed up for the 80s aspect of it mm. and aside from what was a good 10 minute sequence with chris pine adjusting to 1984 mm-hmm. which was you know brought the humor and all that sort of stuff this didn't have to take place like it, no. it didn't have to take yeah, place in 1984 like, yeah. like they didn't lean into i mean there was a little bit of the threat in nuclear war and stuff like that but that was like tacked it felt like it was tacked on they didn't really use the music or anything yeah, exactly. Like that's that's the big like this this if I sum up one thing that this movie is missing, it's it's new order, right? Like <laughs> like it it needs it needs something of the time, and it just didn't have that. And setting it in the eighties as opposed to just making it you know contemporary with the other DC movies, it means you're constantly having to find ways to justify how the events of the movie happened, but aren't known to people like Batman. Mm-hmm when those Batman and Justice League movies take place, which just means you have all this like filler content that only exists to justify this movie's existence in a different movie. I found very frustrating to keep seeing that over and over again to the point where like, if these events had happened, I can't believe someone like Bruce Wayne doesn't know about them. Right. And, and that's a kind of a larger meta textual comment on the whole thing of prequels or sequel, sequel sub pre. I don't, I don't even know where this movie, you know, fits in that terminology but it just creates a lot of problems that it then has to solve that i don't think it needed to do for itself in the first place to me the only 80s bit that worked was the the general theme which was you know the 80s was the greed is good 
decade. You know, it was the me decade. Yep. It was the compile as much wealth and power as possible. So that was in, in, encapsulated in Maxwell Lord, and that was the only eighties bit. Now that's like a. It, it, it's honestly not that much different now, but that was sort of the, the, the when you think of all the decades, that's the thing that yeah, the eighties yeah, sure. represents. So that was what I get. What they were trying to do, I don't know that they did it successfully. Yeah. By the end of it, when he's on that crazy TV broadcast and he's making everybody wish and he's getting quote-unquote, more stronger, more powerful, but it never actually results in anything it was like where it lost the thread. In the beginning, it made sense. He was trying to fake it till he made it in the 80s way, but that, it just, the wheels came off in the third act. After that, nothing really made sense. Well, and, and that ties into what, you know, going back to Kristen Wiig, what I thought was, was overall jarring for me was the out-of-nowhere transformation of Kristen Wiig into Cheetah. Mm-hmm. We watched her progress, the character progress from, you know, not being, you know, not being popular and not being able to connect with people and then wishing to be like Diana, not knowing that she gets powers out of Mm -hmm. it. And then slow and then slowly going a little more, a little more edgy, a little more punk. And I Mm -hmm. will give, I will give the movie great credit when they go to the, they go to meet the guy who knows the the expert in the, in the Mayan culture or whatever. It's in an apartment above a record store in DC and outside the record store, there were period accurate band flyers on the wall like i there was a there was a discord records kind mm-hmm. of like error kind of you know like minor threat error like three x's dc like that was accurate so i'll give whoever was doing the set decoration on the movie bravo you got that right but so she starts to get you know kind of getting this more kind of punky kind of look which made sense at the time mall rat kind of thing with the cheetah you know print and i was like oh cool that's the direction they're going and then in the third act she fights wonder woman and now she has a tail and is completely converted into a into an animal and the only reference we got at this was that she knew zoology that we knew in the beginning of the movie and then then as she's in the play with max lord she said she wants to be an apex predator she never says i want to be a cheetah mm-hmm. right and we were joking you know you can imagine the jokes in our household so uh <laughs> oh, i can yeah <laughs> by, by a bit of context i happen to know a fair bit about animals i happen to live in dc and my wife happens to work at the smithsonian so at the smithsonian they used and filmed at we were actually both in the museum the day that they were filming which was kind of fun just to give you some background info for the the set stuff Ron. the day they were filming i didn't know they were filming i just had to go into the museum for something else so i get off metro i'm walking over to to the museum which is you know uh like a 10 minute walk a couple of blocks and i'm just looking around i'm like man there are a lot of old 80s cars out on the streets <laughs> <laughs> like i just had no idea and That's then i got best. inside and everybody was buzzing and talking about like oh my god i saw chris pine i saw you know oh patty jenkins and there's definitely i remember from the trailer there are shots of Kristen Wiig in parts of the museum that they did not use in the final cut of the movie. So I feel like a lot was missing in, in that sense. I feel like her, her story was cut out a lot. I just, yeah. To me, that was the most interesting thing because what's interesting about in the comics with Barbara and Diana is they are friends, you know, and that, that came yeah. through here where, you know, Kristen Wiig's character has no friends. She's not, she's the typical comic movie nerd outcast and Diana befriends her and they become, and even as you said, Ron, up to the point where they go to that expert's house, they're still kind of friends, even though Kristen Wiig is becoming evil. And they have a really nice moment on the phone, even where she thanks her for helping her and let's go meet and figure this out. And so every time that happened, I was like, oh, this is actually, I'm enjoying this part. But then it would go back to Maxwell Lord at the white house and over the top. And I was just like, "Ah, this part I don't like at all. Yeah. Let's talk about, Chris Pine's Steve Trevor. <sighs> that that didn't need to be in the movie at all. There were things I think that really worked and a lot that didn't. So Diana Prince gets the power to wish something into existence. And so she the whole time she's she misses Steve, obviously, her love from World War One, and she has his watch and she's been to his family ranch and so when she she has the chance to wish something, she wishes for him to return and he does, but 
for some reason they just they decided to quantum leap him into someone else's body. It wasn't like yeah, she has a magical power. Why can't the magical power just return Steve to life? Instead, yeah. we get this bizarre thing where he's in someone else's body and she can see him, but no one else can, and and then they have to deal with that situation. And I thought the the way he says goodbye to her at the end, I thought was really moving, and the way they did it kind of from him off screen was was actually really nice but i think everything up to that was just weird and look i love chris pine and i was happy he was in the movie because they have great chemistry and the two of them together are terrific but if you regret killing him off just bring him yeah. back and I, I and i know they're trying to sever it and here they sort of sever it for good where he's he's gone and that was a nice moment for someone who's dealing with the grief of a loved one and she's finally has to give him up but if you want to bring him back bring him back but otherwise the way they did it was so ham-handed weird. and weird and it didn't really work and it was also it undercut her heroism because uh, you know I get I get the part of her arc in this movie, which is another issue is that Wonder Woman doesn't really have an arc <laughs> in this movie. I don't think um, was simply you know getting over the fact that she was completely okay with this random handsome person's life being co-opted by right. her wish yeah. and that didn't bother her. And like no, you're a hero. You would absolutely not be okay with that. Yeah. So since they didn't investigate that, why have it? Just have him be. He's back. This is magic. It literally made a, a giant wall appear in the Middle East, and it made things appear out of no, you know cows appear. So why can't Steve Trevor appear? Like it just, it just yeah. didn't make any sense. The rules of the the power didn't make any sense, and that kept bothering. They were me. yeah, they were never fully. Ex- they were kind of explained piecemeal as the movie went, and they didn't seem to be super consistent. And it also like it, it was never clear what was like how the wish was creating a sacri- you know, sacrifice. And then like at one point, Max Lord is saying what he thinks the sacrifice ought to be. Cause he has the powers of the stone and it, yeah, it felt like just a real jumbled for, for a trope that's already convoluted. It did. It felt like they leaned into making it more convoluted as opposed to just making it clear, yep. even if it's silly and absurd. Let, let me ask you, going back to your point, Ryan, about wonder woman, not having an arc here. How did you guys feel about the amount of screen time that Wonder Woman in costume actually appeared in? Very low. Yeah, it's low. It's low. Like I, I was like, I was like, for a movie called Wonder Woman, yeah, you, you think there'd be some more Wonder Woman in it? <laughs> but none of the, I mean, none of the. I also kind of felt that a lot of the action scenes were pretty lifeless by the numbers. I don't. I, there's this whole thing where like, is Wonder Woman losing her powers? But she also. If losing her powers means that when a bullet grazes her shoulder, she bleeds a little bit, like it well, doesn't I got the bad. sense that I got the sense that they were fading, like yeah. and, and and it was getting worse as time went on, as opposed to just losing her powers instantly, um, which makes a little more sense. But still, but yeah, I, I'm with you there. Now, here's the thing, though, what I think is the 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 biggest, at least for me, what is the biggest sin of this movie, which actually I feel like the last time I or not the last time. But another time that I invoked this on this on a podcast like this was when we were talking about Green Lantern, which also had Jeff Johns attached to it, was that, like, I wouldn't say this movie is bad. No, it's just... Right? Yeah. I watched it on Christmas with my wife and my niece, and we enjoyed it. We talked about it a little afterwards. And, like, until we talked about doing the podcast, I almost forgot I saw it. Mm-hmm. Right? And I and to me, that's... It's forgettable. A, that's a, 
It's regular. Right. That's a much worse sin than a bad movie. Like this isn't Catwoman bad. This isn't like this isn't like, you know, atrocious, you know, attempted superhero movie. It ha- it checked a lot of boxes. That's some cool stuff. I like the mall sequence where we saw Wonder Woman in a costume. That was great. Coming off that first movie, I wanted to really like this. And I want to go, oh, that was fun. That was a fun way to spend two and a half hours. But uh, <laughs> but I don't know that I'd ever rewatch it, which I feel bad for it because I lo- I-, I think Gal Gadot is great as Wonder Woman. She's and terrific. like and like, and you want to see it succeed, and I, I, it just felt like I was like, oh well, that happened, and then let's move on, right? As opposed to something that's memorable, like the first one. Yeah, I, I think Ryan probably liked it the least, but I, I don't. Th- it's, it, it's not a bad movie. But it's not a good movie. It's a, yeah. it's a movie that had some good pieces in it and some good sequences. I think it had a good act in it, but ultimately, had a lot of problems. I think the biggest sin for me is the two and a half hour thing. Like it's, it's, it's so, way too long. It was way too long. It's so long. I mean, you know, and, and again, this gets back to the streaming thing. At one point we had to, my little watch party, we had to pause for a minute. And when we paused and we saw that there was still an hour left in the movie, all three of us were annoyed. Like we were all like, Oh my God, I can't believe this movie still has an hour to go. And, and that reaction. That, and that never happens in the movie theater. Never happens like, in the movie theater, but, but, and I think, I think, yeah, Ron. I think that does speak to your point that this would be a better theater experience. My take on length is always is a matter of content. So if the movie is really good, it doesn't matter how long it is. You 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 want it to go longer. If it's bad, then every you know, or you're not enjoying it, then every minute that goes by is painful. And this is it's a tough two and a half hours because you're not really enjoying a lot of it. You know, Lord of the Rings movies are four hours long. They could be five hours long for all I care because the content's yep. great. But it's it's just that when when there's just a <laughs> A mishmash of except when it's the Hobbit, and then it's well. That's because the content wasn't long. great. Yeah, exactly. You know, there's it feels like an hour long sequence where people are just wishing for things, and then they're getting their wishes taken away, and it's just like the whole movie turns on one guy saying, "I renounce my wish," and just like, okay. Yeah, that's where we're getting to here. I thought it was working towards where she's like trying to figure out who the god is, and like, okay, so this is gonna be like the first one where she's gonna fight a god at the end and whatever. And that didn't even happen. We never, you know, like it was. Yeah, I mean, it it was interesting because it's like I felt as if the the first movie balanced the period piece war World mm-hmm. War One aspect with Diana's Amazonian heritage and connected it to it and did it in a way that made you care about both. And in this, I thought the opening sequence was awesome with yeah, young Diana and that, that that contest and like Themyscira and all that stuff. Great. I thought I thought that was really great. And I, I understand that the lesson from that scene is was the lesson for the movie, which is like you know you, you can't cheat and it's got to you know it's got you got to earn it and all that sort of stuff. But there was no tie back to her Amazonian heritage in this, and so like I kept on waiting for that to happen. And so like it, it just if I had to sum this up, I would I would say that like. I didn't hate it, but I feel like it didn't live up to the potential both of what was set forth from the first movie and also what I expected from the trailers and all the setup and like what I, you know, the period piece and all that aspect. I just felt like it was uh, less than its potential. Quite frankly, this is the flagship of the Warner Brothers DC universe. This is the flagship character in the flagship film. It needs to be better. But, you know, there's there's an inherent gravity to a World War One movie, right? Like Mm -hmm. there's. Gravitas, there's like, it, their stakes are real, both for the human characters and the uh, Wonder Woman, you know, and the Amazonian characters and the, the people who are powerful. Whereas this movie was kind of just like, it took its attempt at a period piece and it seemed like the most it made out of it was like, weren't the 80s silly? And I'm like, yeah. Well, they tried to get into the, the nuclear annihilation aspect of it, which we all... That was so tacked on. I it, yeah, yeah, that... I, I get that, it, that but I'm just saying that's, that's what they tried to get into the 80s bit of it, because as, as 
children of the 80s like Ron and I, we do remember that the, the stress of that constantly hanging over our heads. But but you didn't feel that stress until the last no. half hour. Yeah. So, I, I really, I keep, I'm, I'm sorry to keep harping on it, but I really feel like a smaller film that was about Diana and Barbara's friendship devolving to the point where she creates her arch enemy. Yep. And it becomes a, hum, a personal tragedy as opposed to this giant worldwide tragedy that they tried to make it into. It would have been a stronger film to go than whatever this happened with Maxwell Lord. At some point when he was giving out wishes and the, the guy in uh, Egypt creates Bialia, I thought, oh, well, maybe they're going that yeah. way. But then that sort of gets swept away from, at the end. Like, it was just like, at one point, we're, we, we're in Stag Industries, where Metamorpho came out of, and I thought maybe that was going to c- come into play, but nothing came out of that. It was just yeah, like... I noticed that, too. Yeah. All these directions I thought it was going to go in, and again, I, they're not making a movie for me, but I thought they were going to go in interesting directions, and they just sort of went to the side. And it was more, and you know, you got back to sort of Maxwell Lord as drug addict who couldn't get enough of people's wishes. And it's just, it's not compelling. It's not a compelling movie. But, you know, there's an iconic moment with Wonder Woman and Maxwell Lord uh, where she kills him. And this movie didn't even do that. I'm actually happy about that. I didn't need that to happen in this movie, but I also, I couldn't tell what this movie's perspective on Maxwell Lord was as a character because it seemed like, in one scene, they'd be leaning into him as hard as they could as a Trump allegory. And then in another scene, they'd be like trying to redeem him with his like bringing himself up by his bootstraps and his relationship with his son. And I'm like, so th- that's, you know, Trump, love him or hate him, was born into wealth. And so like you're breaking your own allegory and I'm not sure why and I'm not sure what you want me to feel. And I'm not sure like what your what your fundamental point that you're trying to make about this kind of person is. Yeah, I mean, I'm I think not, I think, I think sure a Trump, Trump allegory. allegory at all. I, I, yeah, I don't feel I don't feel like everything's got to be about Trump. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, that was the '80s. That was the the businessman of the '80s was was Maxwell Lord, and that was sort of what yeah. they were going for. They seem to want to make you feel bad for him that he just got in over his head, but you never really spent enough time with him in terms of learning about him. He just was sort of a blowhard, and then all of a sudden he became this megalomaniacal supervillain. And then at the end, they give you the flashbacks to his life, and they wanted you to feel bad, but I didn't. At that point, I just didn't care about him anymore. Ultimately, the original sin of this whole thing is that I don't know why they decided to make Maxwell Lord Wonder Woman's villain, but they did however many years ago in the comics, and it's just no one cares. It doesn't work. They just did a whole long arc in the comics with her and him, and it just was so boring. It just I don't know why they decided to do that, but it was not a good decision. He's not worthy of her as a villain. He's not a good villain. So I feel like we got to tie, and I, I, I mean, I like the character of Maxwell Lord, but I agree with you in that yeah. assessment. He's a great but, character as a behind-the-scenes sort of yeah. gray character who is selfish but ultimately does good things. And but here is like, yeah, it just doesn't. It's not compelling. So in terms of the fan service quotient, how did you feel about the invisible jet? Oh, that was dumb. Okay. I did like her learning to fly. I, I was going to say that the next piece was her yeah. learning to fly. But Ryan, what did you think of the Invisible Jet? Were you liked the Invisible Jet? Did not like learning her her learning to fly. Interesting, fascinating. Okay, <laughs> and then and then the uh, credit sequence. I loved um, it. I love the credit yeah. sequence. Did not like the credit sequence. Wow. Okay. How come? Because uh, it just. I thought. Uh, let me see if I can. Make sure I articulate this well. So, oh, this like, is great. I, I'm, 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 I, I got popcorn. Let's hear it. <laughs> Lin, well, I mean, Linda Carter, obviously, you know, obviously is iconic in her role as Wonder Woman, but like, she's not. She's playing Artemisia or some other character that, like, they never really established. They just referenced that, like, this was Artemisia's armor, and that's what they were uh, vying for at the which, opening. Which, oh wait, which, that reminds me. By the way, just a quick side note. Uh, so, Hysteria, it, brother. It, 
it it was pretty cool Mysterio. to see. It was pretty cool to see the Kingdom Come Wonder Woman armor yeah. in the movie, yeah. despite it not being from Kingdom Come. But like that shit fell apart pretty easily, didn't it? <laughs> I did think that because it was designed to. Uh, Asteria was basically the first superhero in Themyscira. She was left behind to hold the line while the uh, Amazonians escaped to Themyscira. And so the armor was designed to protect her against from all the men in the world attacking her. But, and it was a, like, the, the okay. scene of showing that I thought was really powerful in terms of yeah, like a, a message of you know what men have done to women throughout throughout the years. And so, but then when was she allowed to s- stop and take off the armor and give the armor to the Themyscarans and then leave and go have other adventures? Like it's screen. just the whole I I know the whole thing just it because I I uh, didn't grow up with the Wonder Woman live action t- TV show being an important part of. You know, what I watched as a kid, I, the the sequence fell flat from a nostalgia bent. And nostalgia is a toxic impulse anyway. And then it just like, I don't know what it's setting up. It didn't feel set up enough in the first place. You know, the mid credit sequence, like we were actually discussing this after we watched the movie, like nerd culture has come so far from 2008 when Sam Jackson steps out of the shadows and says the Avengers initiative. Like that's mind blowing for comic book nerds because you could never have imagined an all-star Avengers cast. And now it's kind of rote. And so like, I don't know what bring in the original actress. I just, I just didn't know what purpose it served and it didn't have an emotional impact for me because I don't have that nostalgia. I don't know that they're necessarily doing anything with it. They announced they're making a third one. Obviously. Uh, I don't know if she's going to be a part of it or not. I don't know if it's just a nod to her being the original, the Muscarian hero, but I do know that a lot of women I know who don't read comics and don't watch the movies Love yeah. Linda Carter's Wonder Woman. I know of at least two women I dated in my early twenties who wouldn't read a comic if you put in front of them who had Wonder Woman posters on their wall. Linda Carter no, posters. Uh, ge- ge- generation generation of girls spinning in a circle in yeah. under in Wonder Woman underoos. You know, I mean, like that was definitely a cultural touch point, and and it's nice to see Linda Carter get a nod. You know, much in the same way we saw Lou Ferrigno in the yeah. Hulk movie, and you know things like that. For a generation nice. of of women she's a feminist icon of a certain women of a certain age and i i, I can only imagine in the theater that would have been the, the roof blow moment before them because yeah she yep. she represents something that i hate to say it for younger people is not necessarily because she they weren't you weren't, weren't around for it yep. and like i you know I, I i think she's still looks fantastic and it was fun to see her but i just it didn't serve yeah i don't it didn't serve that whatever for me that it's i like for. i like i hear your your delicately walking this tightrope of trying to compliment the fine woman with a great acting career. She looked great, but I didn't think it worked in the film. I let Ryan that bravo. That's good. Thank you, sir. <laughs> I live in DC. It's a political city. I gotta learn, learn the game. Very political. Very, very well done. <laughs> I thought the Linda Carter moment was nice for that generation of fans, a nice little kind of fan service. I thought give putting it in the credit sequence, like to your point, Ryan, we all are programmed to think that that is the bridge to the next yep. thing, but it doesn't have to be. It can be something fun. And I thought that was that was nice. And it tied it back to the story and like, oh, she did because I assume that, that that character died, but she yep. didn't die, right? right. And so like that's that's interesting. Now going back to why Cheetah was able to dismantle the armor. Whatever. I assumed that it was because she was as strong as Wonder Woman. Mm-hmm. Listen, I had the same thought. I was like, where, why is this indestructible armor suddenly coming apart so easily? The only thing that could make it work in my head was that Barbara wished to be like Diana and not knowing that she, she was Wonder Woman, so she got basically Wonder Woman's power. So I, I only right. my only assumption in my, my brain to make it work was that she's as strong as Wonder Woman is so that she was able yeah. to tear it apart. That's fair. That's fair. But I just, I just feel like this is a movie missed opportunity. Yep. On Agreed. a lot of levels. And... It's a bummer because I was really I was really excited for it. I, I loved the first movie. I love Wonder Woman. I love Gal Gadot's Wonder Woman. I think she's an inspired choice. You know, it's the it's a double edged sword of she was so great that they weren't able to reboot the 
the whole universe, you know, after the debacles of Batman v Superman and, and Justice League. And so now they're stuck with this weird multiverse concept they're going to go forward with. But I was bummed out. Even though I liked Gal Gadot and Chris Pine together, I thought, you know, they still have the chemistry that's, on sc- that's great on screen, even though Steve didn't have a ton to do. But again, he doesn't need to necessarily have a ton to do because he's, he's the love interest. But I thought the first film did a great job of balancing them out as characters. And I think this one didn't do as good of a job with that. I agree. I agree. It's a bummer. I did find his goodbye touching, though. I thought the scene where he says, you got to let me go, and then he says goodbye from the alleyway. She's walking away, and we don't see him actually disappear. I thought that was really well handled and really sad. Because he wouldn't have disappeared. He would have just turned back into the dude he was inhabiting the whole time. Which could have been a great comedic moment where he he wakes up in the middle of this nonsense. See, the problem is that part is so poorly conceived. I don't know why they went that way, and that was just dumb. He should have just appeared out out of the ether and disappeared back into the ether as opposed to... Taking over this yeah. random dude's body, yeah. And then she sees him later, and that was let's just that was weird. It's supposed to be comedy, but like it, it felt it weird because then it's like, are they gonna get together? Like it, there was a moment where it's like, oh, you know, I don't know. It just it's it's weird. The whole thing was weird, and disappointing. It's a weird movie. It's a weird yeah. movie. It's a weird movie. We were making a lot of jokes while watching it of just like, I mean, for you know, if you're if you're that actor, if you're a handsome dude actor, like there's there's worse days at work than having Gail Gadot tell you you look good and picked out a good outfit. Like sure, that's, yeah. it's a good day at work. She's terrific. I think you know the thing is that we're at the point well we're long we're long past the point we're long past the point where there's so many of these things now that superhero movies you mean yeah superhero big budget superhero extravaganzas that they're not all going to be great. They're not even all going to be good. There's going to be misfires. You know, there's going to be for, there's going to be for ones that you enjoy and then you completely forget about. You know, like yep. I liked Captain Marvel. I have not thought about Captain Marvel since we did the show about it. Yeah. You know, they just it was fine. And the thing is, is that we as a generation and nerds and stuff like that have been raised to like elevate these and live or die by each one of them and live or die by them and like oh my god and like in the reality you know the reality is is that in you know jesus and uh, since 2008 i mean there have been at least you know there have been 23 marvel movies there have been like there's been a lot a lot a lot of content to the point where we can like it used to be and i fanboy we did we remember connor we're like we'll do everything we'll do everyone and it got to the point where like there's too much and like some of it doesn't matter and some of it isn't as impactful and that's what's going to happen and that these movies are becoming you know, more episodic in nature than epic in nature. Right. And I, that's, I, that's an interesting observation. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. And it's fine. You know, we've had two Wonder Woman films. One of them was terrific. Yeah. One of them was had moments that were enjoyable. And that's fine. At the end of the day, that's fine. I don't regret yeah. the two and a half hours I spent watching it. I've, I've certainly felt that way about other films, but right. I don't feel the need to watch it again. And that's okay. I mean, I don't. I don't regret it in that I knew I was going to see it at some point, but I do regret that it wasn't better. I, I no, yeah, I would like to have been better. Look, I, I want all these films to be the best possible films they could put. I would, I would love every spirit film to come out and be amazing. That'd be great. They're just not all going to be. That's just, the, that's just right. the nature yep. of making films. And you hope that it doesn't hurt the chance, you know, like that it doesn't hurt the chances of another one, you know? Right. Any final thoughts on Wonder Woman 1984? Oh, we should do grades. Should we grade? We will, it? We'll, we'll get there. They're called okay. ratings. 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 I'm sorry. I'm I'm rusty. Listen, I'm busy. Any final thoughts before we get to ratings? Ratings. Ratings. Ron, more more uh, new order would have helped. More new order. Yeah, I, I give this a a C. <laughs> For C on new order, that's not. But the ratings is a numeric scale. <laughs> no, just, uh, <laughs> no. Oh shit! Shit! Ratings are numbers or letter grades? God, yeah. we do letter grades, don't we? Well, I, I've been? always been so confused because you know, like with my with my 
history of academia, I always want to go letter grades, but no, they're numbers. I'll tell you what happened, Ron. You were there for this whole this whole scenario. We we used to do letter grades for the movies, and then when we did the rating segment on the Fifty Two, that took over the ratings. So now they all, all right. it's all numbers now. All right, it's all numbers. The beast took over. So that yeah, that's what happened. So in that case, then I got to give it a three. Three out of five. Three out of five. Um, Maybe two and a half or three. I'll give it a three. I'll be generous. I'll give it a three. Right. I think it's important to point out. We started talking about this, but I didn't finish the thought. Is that while cheetahs may be apex predators in the savannas of Africa, mm-hmm. they're constantly getting beat up by the other apex predators. <laughs> Lions, hyenas, leopards—they're always stealing cheetahs' food. Cheetah—they're not social, so they, they don't have like a, a pack or a pride to help defend the kill. Right. Uh, they, they can't climb that well, so the leopard can just grab the kill and drag it up into a tree. Uh, if you just vaguely say apex predator, cheetah's probably not the one you're going to go with. As apex predators go, they're not the best. Not ideal. They're—I gr- mean—they're a great animal. Sure. Definitely. You know, one of the, one of the cooler. Cats I'm just saying they there. get bullied in the Apex Predator bar. They do, uh, very fast. I would assume the reason why she went with Cheetah was because she was a fan of Cheetah Print. Yeah, I mean, I, which I get, but like Leopard it just also, it, no, Leopard it was Leopard thing. it was was it not jarring? I, I just I think her arc was handled badly. And I think she was the most interesting part of the. No, film. no, I, I'm not. I'm not talking about her arc. But that's the thing. When you saw arc, her the transformation with a prehensile tail and her face altered, was that not jarring? It was the sort of thing where it's like, well, I know why they're having this battle happen at night. I'm guessing. <laughs> well, that's effect, yeah. That that's, that's the old look very good <laughs> at night and raining. That's the Pacific yeah. Rim style of, of movie <laughs> of movie making. And I love Pacific Rim, but I'm guessing. <laughs> Guessing it didn't look that great, and they knew they had to do something to, to kind of make it a little more palatable. Funny. Anyway, Ryan, all right, so rating, ratings, Ryan, ratings, Ryan, ratings, ratings. Two. Two out of five. Ron's three. Yeah, I, five. I mean, I'm, I'm maybe one and a half. Like, so I'm two, two, I feel I'm feeling generous. It's the holiday season. My initial reaction when I finished was that it was a three out of five. Yep. I think that's what I'm going to have to go with. I think it's fair. I think it's I fair. Think it's I didn't fair. hate it. I didn't. I didn't. I didn't. I didn't say. Oh, I wasted my time. I was like, oh, I wish that was better. Didn't hate yeah. it, but I did not like it. Yeah, that's totally Just fine. I think that's totally fair. fair as well. So there you go. Yeah. Wonder Woman, nineteen eighty four. You can talk about that on ifanboy.com. You can find a post for this show. You can tell us what you thought, or on the various places we talk to people on social media. Ifanboy uh, comics on Instagram. I add ifanboy on Twitter. Or if you're a patron, there's the Discord channel, there's the patron group. All those places are places you can talk about this film. And as, well, what are we, what are we doing? It's the end of the year again. We just I, I feel like we did this whole spiel. I don't need to do it again. But <laughs> ifanboy.com, that's you can find all of our shows. Our Pick of the Week show, which comes out every week, is where we talk about the week's books. And we have all the other podcasts at ifanboy.com. Patreon.com slash ifanboys, where you can go support the show. And if you want to join those, those groups. So we've been talking about the movie since it came out. and have very interesting discussions. One group liked it more than the other group, which is interesting. Yeah, that was it. So this is our third goodbye show for the year. Happy New Year. This show will only be out for about two days before the year ends. This is either ending your year or kicking off 2021. Either one. Take your pick. Either way, we'll be back in 2021 for more shows. Hopefully more comic book movies will be out in 2021. We'll see what happens. I, I'm not assuming anything right now. Or ever again, maybe. So we'll leave you on that note. And until then, I'm Connor. And I'm Ron. I'm Ryan. Barbara's commute to the museum made no sense geographically. <laughs> decided to I was wondering about that. I was. <laughs> Didn't, doesn't work. Doesn't work. Later on, we'll conspire as we dream by the fire to face unafraid the plans that we made walking in a winter wonderland.